Welcome to the Inspirational Living Podcast. To get the best of our podcast in heirloom hardcover or digital ebook, please visit inspirationallifelessons.com. Today's reading was edited and adapted from The Pursuit of Happiness by George Hodges, published in 1906. Last time, I talked with you about determination and regulation as helps to happiness. The third quality which will assist you to be happy is proportion. By proportion, I mean a true perspective. Proportion ministers to happiness because it restrains us from the exaggeration of excitement. They who lack it are like newspapers which have used up all their biggest type on screaming bulletins of petty fights and hysterical gossip, and have nothing larger for a battle which is determining the destiny of nations. It is well to distinguish between a scratch and a surgical operation. It is well to save our supreme emotions for supreme events. I do not mean an unnatural repression of feeling or of speech, but the truth is that great joys and sorrows come but seldom. So let us not get excited every common day. Let us reserve some stirrings of the heart for the occasions that truly call for them. Even the great indignations summon us but rarely. Let us keep for them the elaboration pomp and ceremony of our wrath. There is one kind of anger for the child who steals a cookie, and quite another for the legislator who steals a freedom. We invite unhappiness by getting mad at the wrong times. At the sight of our exaggerated indignation, the serene sky, the tranquil fields, and the staid earth silently rebuke us, saying, Little boys and girls, why so hot? Even our grief is sometimes like the tears of infancy. We are like children from whom something is withheld or withdrawn, the possession of which would be a peril or pain. Think again. Set it in its true proportion. Can you not get along without it? Proportion ministers to happiness because it preserves us from pessimism. Pessimism is an exaggeration of the evil of the world. It is the easiest of fallacies. Evil impresses the imagination deeper than the good. It is commonly more dramatic, more interesting. That is why the first page of the morning paper is filled with the stories of yesterday's crimes and murders. These tragic matters do not make up the greater part of life. They do not fairly represent the human day. On the contrary, they are the infrequent exception. Life for the most part goes on clear and peaceful, but these loud cries attract an instinctive attention. The pessimist transfers this emphasis of evil from journalism to philosophy, sometimes to religion, and imagines themselves in a veil of tragedy. But it all depends on where one looks, 
the general world is at this day, and always has been, a good world. In spite of all the wars, and in the face of all the injustice and oppression, want and pain, this is, on the whole, a pleasant planet, and the great majority of us are glad that we came here to live. The pessimist finds a bitter crust, and thereupon declares that the whole bread of human life is bad. But if we have any sense of proportion, we know better. Proportion ministers to happiness because it saves us from the ills of premonition. It helps us to distinguish between the substance and the shadow, between the actual today and the possible tomorrow. Take out of life the fear of the future, the anticipation of disaster, the ills which live only in the imagination, and the clouds are cleared from the sky, the sun shines through. Remember that the testimony of experience is this, that the event which we dread is very rarely so bad as we fear. A sense of proportion, magnifying the known, minimizing the unknown, strong, wholesome, reasonable, and serene, corrects all this and confines the evil to the day itself, declining with a smile to borrow any from the morrow. The fourth milestone on the highway of happiness is the gift of vision. Vision means imagination rescued from the service of the devil to become the handmaid of felicity. She leads us out of the labyrinth of our perplexity. We escape for the moment from adverse conditions into other and happier surroundings. In the Arabian Nights, this journey was assisted by a magic carpet, on which one was immediately taken to the pleasant haven you desired to be. For us, this is affected by a book. The opening of the pages of a good book is like the opening of gates into another world, into the gardens of delight. There for the time we live, and if we have any misery and sorrow, we forget them. Thoughtful people have always refused to be contented with the world as it is. Though the heaven be never so high, and the horizon never so far, they have felt themselves confined and imprisoned. That which satisfies and exceeds the body cramps the soul. This world is not enough. There must be another into whose lofty mansions the human spirit may escape out of these narrow ways and from under these low ceilings. And into this other world, accordingly the soul has made its journey, sometimes guided by the priest, sometimes by the poet, sometimes by the teller of tales, always aided by imagination and often finding the open door between the covers of a book. When Thoreau said that to improve the quality of the day is the first of arts, this was what he meant. He had in mind that dignifying of the day which is achieved 
when the common life is held in relation with all the environment of mystery. The seen with the unseen, the temporary with the eternal, earth with heaven. The quality of the day determines the joy of the day. It is the same commonplace day that it was yesterday, and may be tomorrow. And to your neighbor it begins and ends in dullness. But this is all upon the surface. They who have the gift of vision look beneath this wrapping, and behold the day shines like a star. Then we understand that the new heaven and the new earth, which are promised to the faithful, are just our ordinary blue sky and green grass, seen with a new vision. To begin the day with the page of a great book opens the eyes of the soul. People used to read the Bible before breakfast. That habit is not so common anymore, but it is an excellent habit, proceeding from good sense as well as piety, and one worth reviving and maintaining. To begin the crowded day with a moment of sweet peace, attending to the message of the still small voice, which speaks in those sacred pages, as it has spoken to more than twenty restless centuries, is to enter upon our rounds of duty with a benediction. Books, however, are not enough. The book is closed, and we go out into the world. What we need is the transformation of the world, that too comes by vision. It is by vision that the whole world is glorified, and we perceive that our life is lived in the midst of an environment, which is the appropriate setting of the jewel of great joy. The gift of vision helps us to be happy, because it enables us to look through the visible into the invisible. It brings us into the society of the mystics, whose poet is Wordsworth, and whose apostle is St. John, who see that this world of brown, green, and blue, embroidered with flowers and painted with sunsets, is of truth the garment of God. Thereafter the divine is natural, and the natural is divine, and we know what was meant by those words. In God we live and move, and have our being. Lastly, nobody can be happy in any large way unless they add to determination, regulation, proportion, and vision the habit of ministration. For happiness is a social matter. People have sometimes carried happiness away for their own private delight, but they have never succeeded in keeping it. It is always behaved as in the fairy tales, where the golden gems of selfishness are changed into brown stones and withered leaves. I do not mean to say that nobody can be happy all alone, for that would be in contradiction to common experience. There is a joy in solitude. What I mean is that nobody can be happy very long in any selfish solitude. While it is true that some of the most precious joys of life come to us in quiet moments, 
when we have no companion but a book, or a green hill, or an expanse of shining water, or the sound of meditative music, or the consciousness of the divine presence, when we undertake to prolong this high pleasure, in order to make it the chief occupation of our time, we find that the quality of it changes like the flavor of a cup of water which is taken from a brook. At the moment, it is like the nectar which the Greek gods quaffed on Olympus, but at the end of the day, it is not fit to drink. It needs the motion of the general current, as every human being needs the impulse of the general life. Ministration is a help to happiness because it widens our circle of interest. They who are intent on ministration look for opportunities to be of service to their neighbors and find the dullest places interesting, for the world is pretty well populated with people, even in the remotest rural areas, and they are all players in the universal human comedy or tragedy. Ministration thus maintains our happiness because it increases our area of affection. Those who serve others find themselves generously served by others. Their affection wins affection. The selfish person prefers their own company, walks by themselves, and wonders why they have no friends. The unselfish person lives in an environment of happiness surrounded by those whom they have helped to be happy and who are endeavoring to return them the favor. The Inspirational Living Podcast is a production of The Living Hour. Transform your life in 30 days with our Majesty Meditation Program. Our unique auto-suggestion sound method meditation will help you achieve success in every area of your personal and professional life. Learn more at livinghour.org majesty. To get 30% off the $11.99 purchase price, use the coupon code INSPIRATION. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you next time.